0: And I'll tell you what we're going to do at the end. It's kind of a, a, a cool day. Pretty excited about it. So I'll let you know as we get there. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. If you do not have a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. Romans chapter 12. I don't think she wanted to raise her hand real high. I won't call her name out. Romans 12. We've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, and as we go through this month, a little mini-series that we're doing on an I Serve attitude. We're going to kind of have a little ministry fair today and, and next week, and thinking about having an attitude that it's not about me, it's about what can I do. We've been looking at Jesus and Mark, our servant Savior, and always as a believer when I examine the Word of God, the Lord wants me to walk away from it saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Not what do you want someone else to do? What do you want Randy to do? What do you want me to fit in? What is it, God, you would have for me to do? So this month, we're kind of looking at what should be my mindset. And we're looking at specifically having this attitude of thinking like a servant. Notice in Galatians 5.13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Not only do, do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love through love, serve one another. And, we'll, and I will tell you with my hand raised as a Christian of 47 years and been on staff of this church here, 715 years. For 33 years I've been working the church. But as a believer for 47 years, one of the things I discovered as a young man, particularly in college and then in the business world, the, when I felt the most fulfilled, and even to this day, having been a, a pastor now for 33 years, the most fulfilled you ever find yourself as a believer is when you're doing something for someone else. You're ex- exercising your gifts and your talents on behalf of someone else. Or, or just simply being kind, like being Christ-like, being loving, doing something for someone else, just, just because you can for no other reason. You simply love, and the result of love is that you do. The Bible tells us Jesus loved us and gave himself. He came to serve and to die. We die to self to serve each other. And so as we're looking at this, we're, we're looking at the attitude of our surrender. If they're on your handout, we're going to hit this briefly, let me just tell you what we're going to do so you won't freak out. We're not covering that outline today. Are you shocked? Of course not. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of finish up a little bit of number one, and then we're going to skip down and do number three. We're going to leave number two as a uh, let it stand alone. We're going to do it next week because it's something very special that I feel like I need to share with you concerning that. So we're going to finish number one, the attitude of your surrender. So we've already looked at, if you'll turn to Romans 12, we've looked at as a believer, as a Christ follower. The first thing I need to understand is it all begins with a mindset that I'm surrendering my body. Here I am, Lord, living sacrifice. I belong to you. We talked about that. Here, Lord, here's my mind. It is yours. Here, Lord, is my will. I want to be in the middle of your will. Not Randy's will, but God's will. All your prayer life centers around, Lord, what would you have me do? What is your will? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. It's never my will. It's Yours. So what I want to do as a believer is have a mindset where I align my will with God's will. I sacrifice all that I am physically, mentally, emotionally. We dealt with pride last week. The essence of all sin is pride, that it's about me. So if you'll look at Romans 12, 4, we're going to hit this just generally today. We'll deal with it more later on. And then we're going to drop down to number 3 and get very specific as we begin to go into our ministry fair. 12-4. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many, many members, many believers in the body of Christ, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what we're looking at now in verse 4 and 5 is, I am surrendering to God my place in the body of Christ. Lord, you have saved me. You reached down, you redeemed me. You have placed me in the body in the way that pleases you. So God, I want to find out what that is. What is it you have for Randy to do within the body of Christ? And normally that begins, and the focus is in your local church. Because that's where the New Testament, the the entire book of Titus is about Paul saying, go into... All of these churches on the Isle of Crete and establish elders and leadership in the, those local congregations can then live out what it means to be the body of Christ through that local setting. that has not changed in 2,000 plus years. This is the church age. There's one universal church, the body of Christ. But within that body, there are local bodies. Within those local bodies, there are individual believers who comprise that local body so that we are all functioning as one unit the idea is you have individuality that's integrated into one thing we get our word university from this unity diversity within unity within diversity none of us are exactly the same and that's a good thing that's the way God intended it to be is that we look different we act different we smell different we we could probably work on that one but we do we're different and so God had people that were up here earlier singing, talked about it a million times. That's not a talent that Randy has. So should I be jealous? Sometimes I might be. I shouldn't be. It's not something that I possess. My, my daughter has an incredible, both my, all of my children have great singing voices. My wife does. So they used to sit around and laugh at me. Because I thought at one time, I did. And I had Mary's brother gently explain to me that my ministry might be somewhere else in the church and get out of the music ministry as fast as I possibly could. So I did. And the result was I ended up ministering to teenagers and I loved it. I was crazy. I loved it. I had a good time. And it was good at it. And I said, oh, this is what God wants me to do. Not that. That's what I wanted to do. And God said, no, 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 Randy, I want you to do this. That's how I found out that I loved to teach the Bible. found out that was a gift that God had given to me. And so I could exercise it on behalf of others. And who benefited the most when I exercised my gift on behalf of others? I did. Because I was blessed. And I knew I made a difference. I knew that I was, found my niche. I found my place. And it's so fulfilling. And it, and it just sets you free I don't have to be what somebody else's expectations are. I don't have to be what, what someone else is. I have to be what God wants me to be, my place, my niche. That, and it's really incredible when he, he uses the example of a body, and we're not going to get into this great detail, but the image of a body is its just magnificent how God does things. When you think about how sophisticated, and you study how sophisticated the human body is, that, it, that far beyond the most sophisticated computer man can devise, your human body is incredibly more sophisticated than that. Just hold your hand up in the air like this, the number five, just do that. Now, just make a fist. Now blink. you have any idea how, how, what it takes for, for that to happen? Those simple little actions? how sophisticated you have to be for that to even occur. And someone wants us to think that that's an accident, that that all just kind of blew up when we were here one day. Please, it's not even logical. What God says is, hey, just by the very fact you are who you are dynamically with DNA, just examining how sophisticated one cell of DNA is, is is mind-boggling. And God said, I want the body to be like that, diverse, individual, but yet all functioning together. All functioning, that's what the church is. That's what it needs to be. So then he he says, okay, you surrender your place. Now within that, you have certain gifts. That's verses six through eight. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us within that body, let us use them. If your gift is prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If your gift is ministry or service, let's use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So here's the context. What God is saying is, I've given you spiritual gifts. Now, how are we supposed to use them? They are to be used. Number one, the idea is God. Within his grace, grace is simply giving us things we don't deserve, like salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and inheritance in Christ. You didn't earn any of that. You can't buy it. God simply gives it to you in the person of Jesus Christ through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now, after you're born again, he places you in that body of Christ, all believers, as he sees fit. He places you and gifts you, how he wants you to function. So then he lists a few of them here. We're not going to go into great detail, but just a little example. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible says this. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit, God the Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. you got God the Father, God the Son. and there are diverse, And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. God the Father. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, each one individually by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But the, but the one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And we could go into great detail on this, but we're not going to, because that's really not our specific focus for this morning. But please note this, God the Holy Spirit gifts you, the Father, the Son, they, they called you, they saved you, they gifted you, they placed you in the body, so now you have these gifts, exercise them for the profit of the rest of the body, and God decides what gifts you get. So if I'm jealous of someone else's gifts, I'm saying to God, what? You made a mistake. Does God ever make mistakes? No. So for me to want to be, have the gift that someone else has, is simply saying to God, you're wrong. Now what I want to do is find out, what is your will for me? Surrender that. What is your place for me? Surrender that. What are your gifts for me, Lord? I surrender them back to you. How do you want me to function? And then he lists those gifts like prophecy. And prophecy, by the way, we're not going to go through the gifts today because I want to save that. But when it says prophecy, that's not like specifically me telling you the future. Prophecy here means to speak forth truth, which is, for example, like a gift of sharing the Word of God and speaking truth to something. That's prophecy, speaking forth the truth, not necessarily telling the future, although you do that at times with when you share the Word of God. Say, for example... Jesus is coming back, and here's what's going to happen when Jesus is coming back. Well, that's a future event. So when you speak forth the truth of the word of God, that's prophecy, because this is what's going to happen, not me suddenly telling you uh, Kentucky will lose today. That's not a prophecy. That's a prayer. And if you don't understand that, see me afterwards. I will explain the essence of prayer. Okay. What I want to do now um See how I want to do this. Okay. Hang with me for just a moment because I want to do this in a certain way. I want you to just drop down to number three on your handout. Okay. What does it say there, on number three? What does it say? Okay. What I'm going to do is give you five principles, five mindsets of a servant. We've been talking about I serve. It's not about me. All the things we've been talking about, surrendering to God, your body, your mind, your place, your will. And so now I'm going to give you some very specific, practical application for this. Then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do after that. So, five attitudes of a servant. Number one. Number one. It's others' needs, not mine. It's others' needs, not mine. This is what true humility is. You're not going to serve other people if you look at your life within the body of Christ or your church life. If you look at it like it's about me, you'll not be looking at how can I serve. If it's about you, you're looking at how can I take, how can I get. The idea here is I simply forget about myself And I'd go do what God wants me to do for his glory. It's not about Randy. That it's about other people and how can I minister or serve them, minister to them or serve them in a way that glorifies God. So number one, it's the needs of other people, not my own personal needs. Number two, and this maybe is one of the most important things to understand. I'm a steward, not an owner. I'm a steward, not an owner. Now, what does that mean? The Bible makes it very clear. My mindset after I become a believer in Jesus Christ is that God owns what? Everything. That it is not mine. And we're not simply talking about money or resources here. We'll get to that in a moment. My time. It's not my time. Whose is it? Gods, my talents, gifts—they're not mine. Whose are they? They're God's, given to me. My children, my grandchildren—they're not mine. They're given to me by God, to disciple, to minister to, whatever period of time that might be. That God gives me that incredible privilege. I'm a stu- i am a steward, not an owner. The idea of steward in the Bible was this. You were a servant entrusted by the master to manage things for him. That he owned it, but he entrusted you to manage it for him. For example, if you go through the Bible, there are a lot of examples, but one of the ones that really jumps out is Joseph. Joseph became (laughs) the second most powerful man in the world, entrusted to manage things for Pharaoh, that's a steward. Daniel became the second most powerful man in the world under several different kings, entrusted to manage for Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Belshazzar, kings of Babylon, kings of Medo-Persia, on and on. Because he was so godly, the Lord trusted him, placed him, even as a 15-year-old kid, in Nebuchadnezzar's palace, such a magnificent testimony that he became the leader of all the wise men of Persia. I told you this before, but it's a beautiful picture. And when you get to Christmas and the, the wise men come, the wise men come to visit the child Jesus, the Magi, those are descendants of the Persian wise men that Daniel had taught. That's why they knew about the coming one. They knew about his star. They, Daniel had. And it passed on and on, because Daniel was the leader of all of them. And if you read the book of Daniel closely, it's a king after king after king. After encountering Daniel's God said the following, and I'll paraphrase because it was different with each king. Daniel's God is God. The king of, the, the God of the Hebrews is really God. Not our God, not me, but Daniel's God. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he is God. It was proven over and over and over again. Same thing with Joseph. Joseph, because there was a famine in land, God God put him in a position where his brothers had to crawl to him to get food. They tried to have him killed and sold him into slavery, and suddenly they look up, and Joseph is the one that's going to decide what happens to them. What are they thinking at that point? Uh Uh-oh. This is not going to go good. And what did Joseph say? You meant it for evil, but... God meant it for good. Now, if I'm Joseph, or you're Joseph, after your brothers treated you that way and they had to come crawling to you, what might you do? What? I told you. Now you're going to pay. Because that's what brothers do. That's not what followers of the one true God do, though. They say, they wrap their arms around their brothers and they weep and they say, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good, and all that Joseph had to go through, he could look back and say, God was at work, God was at work, God was at work. I have to understand, I'm a steward. God owns it. So then he says to, okay, Randy, I'm going to give you this time on earth, whatever it is. So far, I've had 63 years. I don't know how many more I have, but I do know this. It's not mine. God gave it to me. He says, now you go manage it in a way that honors me. Hey, Randy, I gave you some talents. Use them in a way that honors me. Hey, Randy, I gave you some treasure. Uh oh, now he's meddling. Hey, Randy, I gave you and Mary a certain amount of money. Now you honor me with it because it's not yours, it's mine. I've given it to you as a conduit through whom I'm going to want you to go out now and glorify me. Use that time, use that talent, use that treasure. You don't own it, you manage it for me in a way that honors me. Third point, it's my responsibility, not others. Every one of you, if you're born again, if you know Christ is your Savior, you've been called to serve somewhere. And I don't mean that you have to do what we tell you to do. I'm saying you need to be serving the body of Christ somewhere. I don't tell you nobody's going to you decide you want to be involved in one of these ministries, nobody is going to send the guys with the black ties and the fedoras to your house to want to know what's up, why are you not doing between you and God and the Holy Spirit. But if you're born again, you're called to serve somewhere. You don't compare yourself with other people. Boy, how come he gets to do that? I'd rather do that. That looks like more fun. Nobody wants to work over there. What does it God want you to do? Not somebody else. You don't compare yourself with other people. You don't criticize others. You do what God wants you to do. You're not competing with anybody else. The reason you're not competing with anybody else is you're too busy doing your own job. You ain't got time to compete. Besides the fact it's not right. It's a great story in John 21. I'm just going to read it to you. The context of this story is after Jesus has risen from the dead. Basically the disciples, after Jesus was crucified, they kind of said, I guess it's over with. I'm going to go back fishing. And they're fishing. Remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus appears to him and says, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. It's a beautiful picture of restoration, reconciliation. That's just occurred. That has just happened. And then you get this passage. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. Jesus is speaking. When you're old... You will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God, Peter would. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Jesus, to Peter, follow me. And remember, he has just restored Jesus in a beautiful emotional scene saying, I want you to go feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And he asked him three times because Peter had denied him three times. That has just taken place. Now notice Peter's response. And Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper. He was at the Last Supper. And he said, Lord, Peter said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Talking about John. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You know what he's telling Peter? Peter. You don't worry about John. I'll take care of John. Hey, Peter, who do I want you to worry about? Peter, that's who I want you to worry about. You follow me. Maybe I'll take, your life will be gone tomorrow. Maybe John will stay I come back. It doesn't matter. You worry about you and follow me. Man, what a great principle for service, that it's not about me. But it is my responsibility, and I'm just simply going to follow Christ where he wants me to go, not where he wants John. Number four principle, it's my identity in Christ. I am a servant. I am a servant. I'm unconditionally loved, and I'm accepted by God. I don't have to prove my worth to anybody. God says I'm worthy. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not, and I don't have an image to protect Others' expectations are not what drive me. I simply want to do what Jesus wants me to do, and when I die, I want Jesus to welcome me into the kingdom and say what to me? Well done, good, and faithful what? Servant. That's it. My standard is not what someone else wants. They're not, others' expectations are not mine my standard and my expectations are Jesus what do you want what do you want me to do what pleases you live my life that way that's my identity I am a Christ follower the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 he who glories let him glory in the Lord For not he who commends himself is approved but whom the Lord commends that's it Who's the Lord come And then finally, number five, probably my favorite principle, because I pray this every day. It's an opportunity, not an obligation. It's an opportunity, not an obligation. Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Every day, you ought to wake up and say, Lord, thank you that you've given me another day. It's another opportunity for me to do something for the kingdom. It may be through prayer, it may be through a text, it may be through an email, it may be through a phone call, it may be face-to-face. It may just simply be you alone with God praying for others, praying for needs. Every moment, every day is an opportunity. Even as you work, you just, you don't know. You love God, you're grateful for the grace that he's given to you, you know he rewards service. The highest call on your life is to be a servant of God. Albert Schweitzer, a great theologian and philosopher, Said this, the only really happy people are those who have learned how to serve. John 12, Jesus said, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. And in Hebrews 6 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints you do minister and that you do minister I want you to bow your heads for just a moment Just, just bow your heads just quietly in a moment we will close let's pray together Lord, we just thank you that for grace, that you reached down, you saved us, you gave us life, you gave us peace, you gave us hope, you gave us a reason simply for existence that every day is an opportunity. Not an obligation, I do. Out of love, we care for each other. We serve one another. We thank you for that privilege, Father. We really do. The privilege of being a Christ follower. So Lord, I pray for everybody in the room. All of us who are born again, that we would understand the high calling on our lives to minister, to serve, that it's not about me, it's about others. And what can I do on behalf of the kingdom for others? And Lord, for somebody here who's not a believer, that they would come to one of us, ask, or maybe even pray right now, Lord, forgive me, save me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Save me. I want to be a servant as well. Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. What we want to do is I want you to stand. We're going to sing for a few moments. You reflect on this. Then I'm going to come back and tell you what we're going to do after that. So please stand as we sing.